now you're locked in to the leading source for ASU news and discussion. Get your wolves up. It's the Wolfcast on ASURW.com. Thanks for joining us on the Wolfcast again this week. We're your home for unofficially official Red Wolves fans talking about ASU football. Uh, today it's uh, your host here, Terry. I'm with our good friend Jeremy, and uh, we're going to do a little talking recap on the Idaho game. We're going to talk about uh, the upcoming game and some other good stuff. So appreciate uh, everybody listening to us. Uh, the Wolfcast can be found at ASURW on Twitter. You can like our Facebook page. Just search for ASURW, uh, and you can uh, download this podcast through the podcast app for iOS, as well as on the Stitcher app for other devices. Or you can just go to www.asurw.com and stream it straight from our page. Uh, we had a pretty good win this last weekend, uh, Jeremy, so let's go ahead and start rolling into talking about the, the game this past weekend. Uh, it was a homecoming weekend for the Red Wolves uh, in home or uh, at home in Jonesboro. Uh, we met up with the Idaho Vandals and uh, definitely saw some offense take flight this weekend. Uh, final score, ASU 49 to Idaho 35. Uh, there were a few highlights in this game. Definitely, like I said, the offense uh, got rolling kind of more so than what we had seen uh, in previous games besides that bloodbath of Missouri State. Uh, but, uh, overall it was a pretty good performance. Uh, some of the highlights, uh, 333 rushing yards with six touchdowns on the, on the ground. Uh, and Trez Houston added the only receiving touchdown of the night for seven total touchdowns. Uh, James Tabry did start the game in Freddie Knighton's absence. Uh, Freddie was held out again, um, nursing a, a groin injury. Uh, so Tabry got all the snaps in the game. Uh, played a lot better than uh, probably what we saw from him in Toledo, uh, but he did end up throwing a pick six, which was kind of a deflating moment. But uh, definitely some highlights. Jeremy, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you talk a little bit kind of what we saw from, from that game. Well, uh, first of all, Wolves up, everybody, and uh, good to be back here uh, for another week of the Wolfcast. Uh this game uh, was a final score of 49 to 35, but it was a game that wasn't really as close as the final score indicated. Uh, heading into the fourth quarter, the score was 49 to 21, and Arkansas State had a comfortable four touchdown lead, and uh, only a touchdown in the last couple of minutes made it set the final margin. Uh, basically, the last two touchdowns Idaho scored. It appeared the Arkansas State defense had taken their foot off their gas quite a bit and, uh, you know, was kind of coasting, letting, you know, just set back into prevent defense and focused on tackling Idaho inbounds, not giving up big plays, and just letting the clock run. The key to winning this game is the first quarter uh, you saw certainly a, a couple of long touchdown runs, one from Warren Wand and one from uh, Gordon, both of 50, uh, they were a 50 and 59 yards respectively. But it seemed like Arkansas State came out with the mindset of of being quite balanced offensively and, and throwing the ball as much as we were running it. But as the game progressed, we quickly discovered, and thankfully the coaches made the adjustments to the fact that Idaho's ground defense was is not very good. 
and uh, we could certainly gash them with the running game. So you saw huge game for Michael Gordon, career high and Sun Belt Player of the Week top numbers, and uh, and then uh, good numbers from uh, Warren Wand and uh, and uh, oh my, uh, Silky White to to complement those guys. Both of those guys had. 50 yards apiece in, in touchdowns. So um, the 333 yards rushing was definitely what won the game for uh, in this case. And that, and through the last three quarters of the game, took the pressure, well, particularly the second and third quarter, took the pressure off of Tabary to win this game. And he was just able to make throws on play action and, and move chains on third and long. And he did that very effectively. Um, so... In effect, we took the load out of the freshman quarterback's hands, put it in the veteran running back's hands, and let our offensive line and those running backs win this football game for us. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that. Uh, we definitely set the tone uh, with our rushing game. And it's funny because it's one of the things that uh, we've talked about uh Last week, Mitchell uh, on the Wolfcast talked about how we needed to get the running game going, and lo and behold, we got it going and we rolled. Uh, and like uh, Jeremy just said, the the final score was not really indicative of the game as a whole. Uh, you know, we had a four-touchdown lead uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, Idaho was able to score a couple of late touchdowns, kind of in garbage time. But um, definitely that running game was – fun to watch first of all but it was also a very bright spot uh for a team that kind of had lost its luster in the running game uh so far this season you know we hadn't really been able to uh showcase you know guys like Flash Gordon or or even Warren Wand uh to their full capabilities and we saw both of those guys have really big days uh, and of that 333 rushing yard total Michael Gordon uh, himself had 221 of those yards, uh, which was a career best for him, and uh, he scored three of the six rushing touchdowns. Uh, and as Jeremy mentioned, that performance earned him uh, Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Week honors, uh, which is great to see. Uh, really, it was great to see the flash back in flash uh, and to see Gordon really you know, hit his stride like we know he can. And and that 59-yard touchdown run that he broke off was just, as soon as we saw it, we all turned around, you know, we're looking at each other just, uh, you know, basically acknowledging that that's the flash that we're used to seeing, and it was great to see. Um, another little stat or moment worth mentioning is uh, J.D. McKissick did uh, break the Sunbelt Conference career receptions record that was previously held by Jarrell Jernigan. Uh, former player from Troy, uh, J.D. holds 264 career receptions, which not only broke the Sunbelt Conference uh, career receiving uh, career receptions record, but also leads the nation currently among active players, which is a big deal. That's a that's a pretty big deal for an A State player to uh, to kind of be at that high standard. Uh, so that was nice. And, uh, we Arkansas State fans definitely remember how good Gerald Jernigan was. And right. There was one game against Troy where it seemed like he single-handedly beat us uh, at Troy. And uh, he spent some time in the NFL with the New York Giants. I'm not sure if he's still there or not. He was as of last year. Uh, but I, I don't know if he is. He's not getting a lot of playing time this year. But anyway, really good player to break a record for. 
yeah, definitely, definitely uh, a, a good accolade for for JD. Uh, let's talk a little bit, Jeremy, about a couple of the items that we've talked about this season. That's kind of become, I guess, the theme to 2015, and that's penalties and turnovers. Um, we did see uh, a couple of ASU turnovers, uh, the pick six that I mentioned earlier from James Tabry, uh, as well as a fumble that was lost. Um, on top of that, those were the only two turnovers we actually committed, but we did actually fumble the ball a couple of other times that we were able to recover. Um, what does that tell you, Jeremy, that we're still not improving in the turnover statistic? Well, first of all, part of it is just because we're still playing James Tabbery. And uh, I, I'm not trying to put the blame on the guy by any means, so don't take it that wrong way. But, you know, when you got a freshman playing quarterback and one that's so far been turnover prone. So that's that definitely plays into it. I would have to describe the running back fumbles as more of a fluke because, uh, I mean, certainly we haven't seen enough carries from Warren Juan to know much about his ball security yet. But Silky White and uh, Flash Gordon are two guys that have not had fumbling problems through their uh, passing. And, of course, Gordon, that I can recall, didn't lay the ball on the ground this game, but White did. And uh, basically... That one I'll have to describe as a fluke, and I think it'll it'll slow down, and and it'll be interesting to see, you, you know, how our turnovers slack up a little bit when we get our starting quarterback returning. That being said, a problem that we're going to have the rest of the way is it's going to be in everybody's scouting report the fact that you can get turnovers against us, and so teams are going to play us with the mindset that. Offensively, we may not be able to match up well with their skill positions, but we can take the ball away from them. So teams are going to be trying to look for the big play on defense against us, and that's going to make the need for us to take care of the ball you know, even greater. So that's going to be a key for the, for the last you know, half of the year is if we can cut the turnovers down, we're going to score a lot of points. Yeah, I agree with that. I, and I've said this so far this season uh, on this show. I, I think that the turnover issue is a big one, and it needs to it needs to improve. And I guess you could say to a degree that we did improve going from five turnovers in the previous game to only two in this in this uh, game against Idaho. But still, the, there's there's much more improvement to be had there. And uh, and I I I'm confident that the coaching staff is addressing that. Uh, also, we did see a lot of penalties. Uh, the game seemed to drag on forever because it seemed like every other play there was a flag on the field. Uh, we had uh, between the two teams there were 25 combined penalties for a total of 250 yards. When I saw that stat, that stat after the game, and actually kind of once we caught on to the fact that there was a lot of flags flying, uh, just looking you know on the uh, ESPN app during the game, it was just incredible to see the amount of penalty yardage that was being racked up. And, and not just any one team, but between the two teams. And I don't want to make this whole show about uh, officiating and penalties and, all, and whatnot, but uh, definitely to me, I think that there was – Definitely some inconsistency in some of the calls being made. Uh, we had yet another player um, called for targeting and uh, disqualified from the game uh, when, in fact, it appeared that that shouldn't have been the call. 
um, some other unsportsmanlike. That it was a terrible call. Yeah, and, and that's and that's the consensus from a lot of people that uh, you know saw it on TV and saw the replays and people at the game. Uh, there were some unsportsmanlike calls that seemed pretty um, marginal at best. Um, so it just it was a very frustrating game to see that you know, be a part of the game. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that every flag that was thrown was not warranted uh, because there were definitely penalties that we earned. Uh, on one of our possessions, we had back-to-back false starts. Uh, and on a home field game with the crowd not really loud and causing noise, is something that should never happen. Um, so we definitely earned some penalties. But at the same time, it seems that and I don't want to. I don't want to make this, like I said, this whole show about penalties. But it just seems like we don't get the breaks on on those kind of calls. Sometimes, Jeremy, what what is your opinion on that? Well, first of all, I think some of it comes from at the end of last season, from the ULL game out. You heard multiple coaches in in Sun Belt and even I think Toledo's pretty much admit that we got the reputation as a little bit of a dirty team. And so they are warning officials and, and so on and so forth of that. And that might make the officials a little bit on the, oh, um, I can't think of the word, but biased. a little bit, not necessarily biased, but ready, you know, trying they're trying extra hard to make sure that the game doesn't get out of hand, um, and and thus they're they're being a little bit easy with the flags. Um, I, I think you might be seeing a little bit of that, and they're trying to overcompensate when really a lot of that isn't the case. That yes, that ULL game last year did get pretty ugly, but that was certainly a two-sided affair, and uh, we're certainly not a dirty team. Nobody would would give us that um, label other than maybe ULL. But it's something that, to me, coaches are using against us to the referees to try to get penalties drawn for their teams. And for some reason, it's working. Um, I'll say that there were other instances in this particular game. I saw one case when one of their players flat out wound up and slapped one of ours on the side of the helmet and I don't know what happened before then, but some reason we got a penalty and they did not. And at the very least, it should have been offsetting. And and there were you know more than one instance like that. But they were calling fouls on Idaho at a rapid rate too. So these guys, it seemed like they were looking for something that wasn't there. The game was a little bit on the chippy side, but I don't think there was a risk of there being a brawl or anything. And and they were trying to keep it under control almost to the point where they made it out of control. And uh, hopefully that's addressed by the Sunbelt Conference. That being said, we can't blame it all on the referees. Right. We have to find ways to adjust. Um, if they're calling things extra picky, then we need to be extra careful. Um, for instance, the penalty that was called on Money Hunter and our good buddies at um, astatenation.com outlined that today on, on why that was a um, an inconsistently called penalty in which he knocked the ball down and got up and signaled incomplete, not in a taunting manner 
or anything like that, but something that you would see every Saturday all across the country without a flag, and, and money got flagged for it. Um, you saw a little bit of hypersensitivity there, um, but the point is that if we're going to get called that way, then we need to adjust and basically, you know, go talk to one of our teammates, you know, slap them on the back, on the helmet, and go back to your huddle. And don't make any gesture at all that gives the referees any reason to throw a flag because they appear to be looking for it. Right, and I agree with everything you're saying there. I think I think for me the the thing that that makes it an issue is whenever it becomes so inconsistent that there's potential for a a bad call to actually have an effect on the outcome of the game. I think that that if if this inconsistency keeps up, I think that that is the the way we're heading and the potential danger. Um, but I will give, you know, I'll give the conference and, uh, the supervisor of officials, Steve Shaw, who also happens to be the super supervisor of officials for the SEC. Um, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt to get this corrected. Um, because like Jeremy said, it wasn't just flags on our side. Idaho had their fair share. Uh, and but Idaho, it just seemed in fairness came into this game. Number two in the nation for least penalties. And I believe they doubled their penalties on the season on this one game. Right. And that, no, if that's, that's, uh, I hate to use this pun, but if that doesn't raise a red flag, then, then what does? It, it exactly. It doesn't add up. Yeah. And I think that was the point that, uh, as you mentioned, A State Nation was trying to make that, uh, both teams actually had, you know, a much higher percentage of penalties than typically. Uh, they either team has on a normal basis uh, with this particular crew. And so, anyway, we beat that horse enough. But it, it is, I think, worth mentioning because it was such an integral part of the game uh, that we saw so many flags uh, flying. We need um, to find a way to change it one way or the other, whether it's, you know, getting the officials lined up through complaints or lining our players up or more than likely a combination of both. Right. Otherwise, it could cost us a game at some point. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely something that the coaches have to make a priority to address and have to make a priority to enforce some sort of uh, discipline, you know, on to players that are committing these personal foul penalties or unsportsmanlike conduct penalties and such to get it cleaned up, you know. And like you said, you said it best when when you said that we've got to make it – we've got to do our best to not make it easy to get flags thrown at us. And so I think that's the, the bottom line. Um, one of the last things we're going to talk about, uh, to wrap this recap of the Idaho game up is, uh, injuries. Uh, it looks like we came out, uh, pretty unscathed overall. We did suffer a pretty, uh, major injury to one of our best offensive linemen, uh, Daniel Keith. It appears that he's got an ankle injury, uh, could be out up to two weeks. Uh, so far from all indications, it's not a season-ending injury or anything broken or, or anything torn. It just appears it could be a very severe sprain um, from uh, the reports that we've gotten so far. That is all, of course, subject to change. Um, that is a blessing, too, because when he absolutely. was carted off with a brace on his leg, I thought he wouldn't play again this year. Right, yeah. It looked, I guess, much worse on the field as it happened uh, or the aftermath than uh, what it actually turned out to be. 
uh, once they've examined him and everything. So, so that's good news. Hopefully he's uh, back healthy sooner rather than later, but it looks like uh, probably a couple of weeks he's going to be out dealing with that injury. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, to wrap this segment up, we're going to talk about some of the Sunbelt games that uh, took place this last weekend. Uh, we had uh, App State uh, playing Wyoming. App State came out on top 31-13. to uh, Georgia State, uh, poor Georgia State. Uh, they just can't get out of their own way. They suffered a loss to FCS opponent Liberty, uh, 41-33. to And then we had uh, Louisiana Lafayette meeting up with Louisiana Tech. Uh, and Louisiana Tech took Lafayette to school, 43-14. Uh, to uh, That game right there really, to me, makes me uh, wonder if uh, Lafayette is really down from what they've uh, been the last three, four years. Uh, well, so, LaTeX beat them bad last year too. So that's true, right? Uh, George Southern uh, smoked ULM fifty-one to thirty-one. Twenty-point loss there for the Warhawks. Uh, South Alabama and Troy met up for an in-state battle. South Alabama came out on top, twenty-four to eighteen, and then New Mexico State uh, met with an in-state rival uh, against New Mexico. Had a lead on New Mexico and ended up blowing the lead and losing 38-29. to So that was a a big, uh, kind of a heartbreaking loss for them. Jeremy, what, uh, out of these games, uh, what's, I guess, kind of the most, the more notable points and uh, what are we we looking at in the Sun Belt from these games? Well, I don't think we learned a whole lot from this game, from these games, except for the exception of one. First of all, I got to touch on. before that, Georgia Southern and Louisiana Monroe, fifty-one to thirty-one. Southern wins at Monroe. Monroe, known for, you know, supposedly the most stingy defense in the Sun Belt, and they couldn't handle the triple option. But I'm going to pretty much throw anything about this particular game out the window, because Louisiana Monroe had a quarterback pass away on Saturday, found on Saturday morning. And then their team has to play a home game later than that that day. I don't know how you can mentally get yourself ready to do that. And so, you know, our thoughts and prayers certainly with, you know, Monroe uh, and their fans and team and coaches and, you know, family. We, we uh, you know, when it comes to competition, we, we want to beat everybody, but we don't want anybody to have to go through something like this. So, um so that's a rough, rough deal for them. Uh, as for the the one game that I take something away from is the App State Wyoming game, um, and was that that game was in Boone, was it not? I think it was. I believe so. Yes. Um, however, a thirty-one to thirteen win over a Wyoming team who's maybe not having the best of years so far, but is traditionally pretty solid and, and routinely, you know, wins somewhere between, you know, six and nine games. Um, That's a solid, easy win for App State and continues to reinforce the fact that we think they're one of the toughest teams in this conference, especially at home. So App State continues to impress. Georgia Southern continues to look like they may not lose a conference game unless it is to that App State team. And, uh, hoping that somewhere along the line somebody finds a way to knock them off. Uh, other than that, it's kind of status quo. You kind of expected South Alabama to beat Troy. Um, I kind of expected LaTeX to beat 
you allow the way you allow has been playing. And we hope that Georgia State would get a chance to beat an FCS Liberty team, but it's not really surprising <laughs> that that didn't happen. So um, a lot of stuff to form, except for particularly that App State game. Yeah, I think uh, I think Georgia State has exhausted their uh, their good graces to get a win, uh, unfortunately. But uh, we'll see how how the rest of the season goes for them. Uh, I do agree with what you were saying about App State. I think they do continue to impress, and they make me increasingly nervous as each week of the season uh, goes on to go out to Boone this season and take them on because. That will probably be the toughest matchup uh, that the Red Bulls will face this season. We um, need them to beat Georgia Southern now. Uh, yeah, definitely, absolutely. Yeah, they. We need somebody that uh, could take on uh, Georgia Southern and, and give them a loss uh, because they, of course, aren't meeting a state or uh, Lafayette again for the second year. Um, not that it may be a, that big of a deal that they're not meeting Lafayette. I hope I would hope it would be a big deal that they're missing us, but. Um, but yeah, I agree with what you said. There wasn't a lot to be learned or, or gleaned from this past weekend of Sun Belt games, uh, other than uh, there's definitely there's definitely a bottom to the conference, and I think Georgia State unfortunately is holding anchor pretty well in that that uh, in that category. Well, guys, everybody that's listening, thanks for joining us again, and stick around. We'll be back on the other side of this first break to talk more Rebels football, and we're going to discuss the upcoming matchup uh, between A-State and South Alabama. We'll be right back on the Wolfcast from ASURW.com. On the pontoon, make your ways and catch your ways up on the roof. Jumping out the back door, act like you don't want to. Thanks for spending your time listening to the Wolfcast from ASURW.com. We're recapping the latest victory from, from Red Wolves football, and we're looking ahead to the next opponent, which is South Alabama. Uh, we're going to be talking about that and some keys to the game. Uh, we've, uh, As we've talked, we're meeting South Alabama uh, next Tuesday night. It's a, a road game for the Red Wolves. Uh, it's going to be a nationally televised ESPN2 uh, game, the first of two consecutive uh, Tuesday night ESPN2 matchups. Um, Jeremy, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about this matchup with South Alabama. Uh, what can we expect to see from them and how we're going to match up with them? Well, first of all, um, I'll say that one advantage that we have in this game, I kind of like the Tuesday night game in this particular case. It, it kind of keeps the crowd down. A little bit it um, gives our guys a couple of extra days to heal from a couple banks specifically Freddie Knighton who's slated to almost certainly return for this game according to the coaches he's I think they described him as 99.9 percent in in a, uh, a statement by Blake Anderson uh, the uh, the keys to me is one um, we are very familiar with mobile in the stadium so everything about playing in that environment except for the fact that we don't have a majority of fans there should be quite familiar to our team um that's going to help um two when freddie comes back is he going to be the freddie that we're used to or we have a little bit of rust to him 
if he is the Freddy that we're used to seeing, I fully expect us to, again, score a lot of points and win this game. But uh, basically, what I see as keys to success is um, just keeping the offense rolling. Don't turn the ball over and, and, and avoid the penalties. If you do that, I, I really believe that we have the uh, the better team in this game. I'll, I'll break it down here in a little bit, but I really believe that looking at the matchups for Arkansas State matches up very well in this ballgame. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that uh, if we can see the same kind of uh, ground attack against South Alabama that we had this past weekend, I think that we could be unstoppable. And then if we've got a healthy Freddie Knighton to throw in that mix – uh, with the mobility he has with his legs, it could, I mean, I, I really think that it could be uh, a big win. And I think that this needs to be a big win. I think that this this game is a matchup that is very telling for how uh, we could see the Red Wolves performing moving forward through the season. If we can go, to, go down to Lad Peoples uh, on a, a road matchup, um, for against a, a good team uh, in South Alabama, who it's worth noting has uh, at least eight transfers from the UAB program that uh, decided it was going to shutter its program and and then kind of reneged on that uh, after a, a large outcry from the community. But uh, they have eight transfers from that program, uh, including their starting quarterback, that uh, are players that have played at the FBS level. Uh, they've, they've, uh, been in conference USA. Um, that's, uh, you know, definitely something to, um, you know, to consider as a factor, uh, because those are, are players that have experience and, and they got a special waiver to play immediately, uh, because of the nature of, of that programs, uh, kind of the way it shut down. Um, but I think that, Overall, if like I said, if we get our ground game going like we had this past weekend, I think that we're going to uh, we're going to see a big time performance, uh, and I think our defense is going to play well. Our defense has played well all season. Uh, we've you know once we got past those big opponents like Missouri and uh, USC, we've not given up too many real big plays, um, and so I think that they're going to hold their own like they have been, and I think that. Uh, if we really keep our offense rolling, like Jeremy said, I think that we can uh, come out with a big win, and that really will set the tone for uh, the rest of the season moving forward. Definitely. Uh, can I break down a few minutes about what South Alabama will do? Absolutely. Uh, they, first of all, they, their defense isn't, isn't real good. They're 82nd second in the nation, but what plays into our hands really well is they're, 100 and, they're pretty good against the pass. They're 48th, but they're 101st against the rush, allowing 205 per game. Uh, so that, and they haven't played any spectacular ground games yet. So allowing 205 yards rushing is a little bit of an eye-opener and uh, one that we should exploit. Offensively, quite honestly, they're even worse. They're 87th in the nation. They don't run the ball very well. They're 95th in the in the rushing game and, and 53rd in the passing game. But their passing game is anchored by UAB transfers, Cody Clements, who was the starting quarterback for UAB, led them to 6-6 six and six in bowl eligibility last year, um, and uh, transferred over and, of course, easily won the starting job for South Alabama. 
the key to me to shutting them down is their passing game is led by two guys. One of them is a 5'11 wide receiver, Josh McGee, who has 13 catches for a whopping 326 yards and two touchdowns. That's wow. an average of 25 yards per catch. So he obviously has some wheels. He's a burner, and he can beat you deep. So um, probably that's going to be the matchup for Rocky Hayes. Keep him in front of you and uh, don't give up the big play. The other one is perhaps even more of a concern for me is their six foot four tight end, Gerald Everett, who has 23 catches for 350 yards and five touchdowns. Wow. That's an average of 15 yards per catch. Certainly, we've had issues in our history uh, matching up with the tight ends. I don't recall a tight end burning us so far this season, other than. You know, Missouri got us on a little bit of a throwback pass. But, you know, so far tight ends haven't been an issue. But you're going to see uh, matchups where a linebacker like Xavier Woodson or Kyrie Lane is probably going to have to cover Everett out of the backfield, and that's going to be tough. So we're going to have to provide safety help. You know, the guys like um, Humes and uh, and uh, uh, Clifton and, you know, Gurley and whoever's in there, are going to have to help over the top and, and not let the tight end beat them. So uh, that, to me, is the key. They, they split carries on the ground. Uh, the ground game isn't really enough to just worry to death, but um, if you can slow those two targets down and almost have 700 yards receiving, you got a little legitimate chance to, to stop them. Yeah, definitely. I, I am a little concerned about that tight end matchup uh, because he is so big and uh definitely has some sure hands and so uh with as thin as our linebacking core is right now i think that we're really going to have to key in on on that guy as well as uh their star receiver to uh make sure that we don't give up a big play uh to them but i i i envision uh seeing several uh plays across the middle with that tight end and and like you said i hope that we put somebody that's got some good coverage skills and can break up some passes to cover that guy. Uh, Jeremy, what do you think uh, this game, what kind of implications do you think that this game itself, this being just one game out of a slate of several games, but what do you think that this game will tell um, us about the Sun Belt moving forward? Well, um, basically, um what you're going to see from our team is whether we can go on the road and win a road game in a you know environment that I wouldn't necessarily describe as hostile, but it's not our home field. We haven't really we played two road games so far this year, and granted, um, they were both against superior teams in Toledo and USC, but in neither of those two games did we have any semblance of fire or rhythm offensively and that has to change this week so will our team be able to be one to get up and play road games with some fire or will this be one of those long years when we kind of you know win the home games and you know maybe win in New Mexico State on the road but but that might be about it um, we got to win you know certainly probably three out of our four road games to have a lead realistic shot at winning a conference championship and maybe all four of them so this is huge uh, this will tell us what we need to know 
in regards to what it means for the season, South Alabama is a team that's going to win a few games. They're not terrible. They're in that middle tier of the Sun Belt, from what I can tell. Um, so they are going to be a team fighting for a bowl slot. Um, along with us, um, I think that when the conference are not, Georgia Southern and App State will find a bowl this year. But the other two spots, maybe three, will come from South Alabama or Texas State or Arkansas State, Louisiana Lafayette. Um, there might have been one more team ahead of Louisiana Monroe. Two or three of those five are going to get to go bowling. And uh, if we win this game, that'll position ourselves well to be one of those teams. Yeah, definitely. I think it's worth noting that the winner of this game um, will supplant themselves solidly uh, in second place uh, for the conference standings. Uh, both South Alabama and Arkansas State are both 1-0 in conference, uh, and Georgia State is the only other uh, conference team that uh, has a conference win so far. So, uh, And we'll talk about them a little bit later, but they meet App State, and so there's not much hope of them getting a win in that game unless just something crazy happens. So the winner of this game between South Alabama and A-State uh, I think sets a tone – you know, for the conference, um, like I said, you know, whoever uh, wins that game is going to be 2-0 and in conference. And that's a 2-0, you know, it's early in the conference slate, but 2-0 and uh, at this point, you know, says a lot about, uh, you know, how you're going to move forward and kind of the momentum that you take into the rest of your conference game. So I do and think that is important. For two games after this week, uh, before heading into that crucial three-game road stretch in November. So you win this game, you come home for a couple, and, and you got a little legitimate chance to be 4-0 through the first half of the conference race. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's shift gears a little bit, and let's talk about uh, the upcoming uh, the other upcoming Sunbelt games. Uh, like I just mentioned, we've got uh, App State traveling to Atlanta to take on Georgia State. Uh, we've got New Mexico State traveling to Ole Miss uh, for a out-of-conference matchup. Uh, another out-of-conference matchup, we've got Troy traveling to Mississippi State. Uh, we've got uh, yet another out-of-conference game, Louisiana Lafayette traveling to Tulsa. Uh, and then uh, finally, we've got Texas State. Uh, let's see, who are they going to play? I think my notes are a little off. Um, they're going to be playing, uh, let's see. They're playing Louisiana Lafayette, and so... I guess I've just missed in my notes that Lafayette won't be playing uh, Tulsa. They will be <laughs> playing. I don't know who I had as Tulsa, so scratch that. Maybe ULM. Maybe that's who I meant. Either way, uh, we've got a lot of out-of-conference match matchups uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, Jeremy, which of those matchups are you um, most interested in seeing? Well, first of all, let me pull your notes up to make sure um... – that schedule for the Sun Belt, I'm uh, digging right. It's Louisiana here. Monroe playing Tulsa. It is, it is Louisiana Monroe little playing typo. Tulsa, and Texas State playing Louisiana Lafayette. Right. Um, that is definitely the game that I would pay attention to. Would be Texas State and Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, both of those teams are teams that we would have thought certainly to be in the top half of the Sun Belt, but both of them have looked really particularly bad for the first three or four games, and so. We kind of maybe get to see who's a contender and who's a pretender um, from this matchup. So, uh, big one. I would circle that game without a doubt. Um, other than that, 
No, App State's probably going to go to the Georgia Dome and destroy Georgia State. New Mexico <laughs> State and Troy um, play a couple of Mississippi SEC schools, so um, that's going to be tough. And then I don't like Louisiana Lafayette's chances going to Tulsa the way they – it should be Louisiana Monroe's chances going to Tulsa. Um, might be a low-scoring ball game, but I don't necessarily like Monroe's chances of, of winning that ball game. Yeah, the uh... – Tulsa has a new head coach in Philip Montgomery, who uh, was formerly the uh, at uh, Baylor um, with their high-flying, high-powered offense. So uh, it could be interesting to see uh, how that goes with uh, Louisiana Monroe. But uh, I agree with you. Really, the only game of real importance in that slate that has any type of conference uh, implications is Texas State traveling to Lafayette. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they perform. We talked last week; uh, they're going to be without their uh, off or excuse me, defensive coordinator John Thompson, who resigned. Uh, they've got uh, guys stepped in, taking that place, of course. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how they respond, how that defense steps up against uh, Lafayette, and it'll be interesting to see if Lafayette still continues to struggle offensively. Uh, like I like they've... Lafayette in that game because it's at home. Um, and Texas State, both teams have struggled, but Texas State would could be described defensively the way we described ourselves last year as to where we couldn't start a stop a you know, forward-moving marching band. They've had definite problems, and Louisiana Lafayette's just going to give the ball to Elijah McGuire and say, here it is, stop us. Right. So I would think Lafayette could probably score enough points to win that football game. But – you know, we'll know here after this weekend. Yeah, I agree. That's you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, and Elijah McGuire might be their whole offense for the game, and that may be all they need. So it'll be be interesting to see when we're on the show next week uh, what uh, turns out to be the case. All right, everybody, we're going to uh, take another little break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, just a little bit of fun info. Uh, how we would look at re- at ranking the Sun Belt after seeing a few games so far this season. Uh, kind of versus what we thought in the preseason. And uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, a favorite moment so far this season uh, that we've seen from the Red Wolves. So stick with us. We'll be back on the Wolfcast on ASURW.com. ASURW.com is your unofficially official home for a state football talk, and we can be found at Twitter at ASURW. Like our page on Facebook, just search for ASURW. Uh, you can listen to the Wolfcast through the podcast app for iOS, as well as the Stitcher app for other devices, or just go to ASURW.com and stream it straight from our site. Folks, we're back. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some just some neat items to wrap up the show. Uh, we're going to talk about kind of how the Sun Belt uh, matches up to our preseason rankings. How we, you know, kind of would look at the rankings now. And we're going to talk just a minute about uh, kind of a favorite moment uh, that we have from the the Red Bull season so far. Uh, so, Jeremy, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about uh, where we see the the Sun Belt shaping up now versus what we 
uh, kind of had talked and predicted uh, in the preseason. Uh, what, what do you think the standings uh, look like versus our predictions earlier? Well, I think they look um, pretty close to what we were at. Um, not to toot our horn a little bit, but, but for the most part, we were right on it. Um, we had uh, Arkansas State, Georgia Southern, and Appalachian State as the, the top dogs and Louisiana Lafayette behind them. And the only difference is I would have probably Louisiana Lafayette trending down a little bit and South Alabama trending up a little bit, as well as maybe Texas State trending down a little bit. But for the most part, we've got the top um, in order as of the way I see it right now. And, you know, there's a lot of key games to play out as to, you know, how it will end up, certainly. And most of the conference race is still to play out. But based on the eye test, we were we were pretty close to the first four to five games. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, um, you know, the top teams have kind of hung around that that spot so far. Um, there are a couple of teams kind of kind of faltering a little bit, um, but I think overall, you know, this is kind of a trivial question because it, we're only about two games into the conference slate so far. Uh, some teams are only uh, one game in, but um, there's not a lot of um, evidence so to speak to base this on but it's all speculation anyway uh so it's it's kind of fun to talk about but i still think that of course georgia southern and app state are are up there at the very top echelon um i think that we're even though we've had some kind of sketchy performances i think the red wolves are up there uh until proven otherwise i think we've earned that benefit of the doubt um and uh i agree south alabama uh is one of those teams that's kind of uh, creeping up and and like we just talked about in the last segment, uh, this game against A State this weekend will or uh, or next next Tuesday actually will will really tell the tale on what kind of team uh, they've got this season. Um, Jeremy, what's a what's a favorite moment that you've had so far uh, in the season? And, I, and I'm just talking, you know, maybe a, a favorite play or just something you've seen out of the team, um, just that's kind of you know got you excited or impressed well definitely um my favorite moments so far this year were the the pair of Tres houston touchdown catches against mizzou uh, the first of which was just spectacular sports center you know number three play the second of which was you know in live action it's like i think he caught that and then you see an incompletion and then you see on the video board and you hear the play overturned by the replay booth and this stadium was loud and went nuts and that was just pure joy and excitement enthusiasm from our fans and quite honestly through the other couple of home games we haven't matched that level of noise and and certainly you wouldn't expect to reach that level but you still would like to see some excitement because there's a lot of important games left on this season so uh, that's a challenge to our fans to, to bring that again um, through some, uh, through the remainder of the home games, but um, also just a, a good memory of, of um, a night when, you know, things were. It was a really fun, fun ball game, and we competed hard. Definitely, yeah, I agree. That's a great, that's a great one that you you just mentioned there. I think for me, mine is going to be kind of a a combination of smaller moments to culminate into one, and that's just seeing JD McKissick. Uh, kind of get to break out and be the player that we all knew he was going to be. He was very hampered last season with injuries, uh, just didn't get to perform to the level that he 
that he probably wanted to or that we know that he's capable of. Um, and this season, we've gotten him the ball. We've gotten him back in our offense. He's healthy uh, 100%. And we've seen that flash from him, uh, from one of the best players you know to ever put on a Red Bulls uniform. Um, and uh, that all culminated this weekend with him uh, getting uh, four catches to break that Sunbelt uh, conference record that we uh, talked about er- earlier in the show. And so for me, it was just really awesome to see that because he's such a dynamic player. Uh, he's such a playmaker that uh, is uh, just a big part of our offense and, and why we're successful offensively. And it was just good to see him getting back to the form that we saw uh, from him earlier in his career as a freshman and sophomore um, because it was disappointing just seeing kind of the way things went for him last year. And, and it really excites me moving forward to see uh, what uh, he's got in store for us because I'm sure that he's got plenty of, of huge plays left in him. Sure. All right, Jeremy, it's that time of the show where we're going to talk about our prediction for the upcoming game, Arkansas State traveling to Mobile, Alabama, to our – quote-unquote, home away from home at Lad People Stadium. Uh, we're going to make our predictions of how we think that game's going to end up, and then we're going to talk about our crazy predictions. So go ahead and take it away, Jeremy. All right. I see this game as a, a struggle for the first half. We um, have trouble finding our rhythm and uh, look a little bit like the team that uh, for a moment saw um, in Toledo. But then we actually snap out of it, and part of that's having our quarterback uh, return, and um, we we find a big play and and uh, turn it around and win this game by a count of thirty-one to twenty-four, a seven-point win on the road, um, one that we sweat down to the final horn, but uh, one that we come away from feeling really good about ourselves. I like that prediction for sure. Uh, I think I'm going to go um, with A-State 42, South Alabama 27. I think it's going to be a big win. I don't have any idea what the point spread is. I know we usually do that on the show, but I don't have that in front of me. But I think that we're going to see our offense really pick up steam going into this game. I think that we're going to continue keying in on our running game, our rushing attack, uh, keep feeding the ball to Flash Gordon and Warren Wand and getting Silky those touches and getting J.D. involved uh, in the the running game with those little uh, fly sweeps and and things like that. And I think that we're going to uh, just be able to just, uh, just crush them on the ground. And I think that throwing in Freddie to that mix, uh, healthy Freddie, with his mobility, like I said uh, earlier, I think that that is going to be a key factor. Uh, he's going to be fresh. He's going to be ready to go. And I think that we're going to just uh, have another repeat of this past game as far as the rushing attack goes. So, uh, again, I'm going to say my score prediction is 42-27. to 27, A-State coming out on top and, and uh, howling all the way uh, up by 55 back to Jonesboro. If we score 42, we will definitely win this ballgame. I feel very confident about that. Absolutely. I think so, too. All right, Jeremy, what's your crazy prediction for this week? Well, um, I am going to – I don't know how crazy this is, but I mentioned the score of 31-24. to 24. You mentioned that you think our ground game is going to roll. I'm going to say that we're going to score uh, four touchdowns on the ground 
three of which by Michael Gordon. So Gordon continues to put up big numbers and has a three-touchdown game to go again this week to combine with his three-touchdown game last week. So six touchdowns in two weeks is, is, is big time. Absolutely, and I, and I hope you're right because I would love to see Gordon uh, keep that uh, – that big performance going, and I'd love to see him be the the offensive player of the week a second week in a row. Uh, for my crazy prediction, uh, I'm going to say that uh, we actually score not only offensively, uh, but that we have a defensive score uh, in the mix. Uh, I'm going to say uh, one of our scores is a defensive touchdown. And I'm going to say that that is a fumble recovery, not a pick six. Uh, that's too easy. I want to say that uh, we force a fumble, scoop it, and score it uh, for a defensive touchdown this week. So, um, take it. yeah, I'll take it definitely. I'll take a pick six. I'll even I'll I'll be wrong for the sake of getting a pick six, mm-hmm. but I'd love to see us uh, force a fumble and scoop and score. Well, everybody, that's going to wrap up our Wolfcast for this week. Again, we appreciate you joining us. Thanks for listening on the podcast app through iOS or Stitcher or even just visiting ASURW.com and streaming it from the site. Again, check us out on social media where you like to tweet. We uh, uh, have a Facebook page at ASU or search for ASURW. Uh, and like our page and uh, stick around for uh, next week's show. We'll be coming back to recap the South Alabama game and looking ahead uh, through the season. So we uh, hope to see you back here through the Wolfcast on ASURW.com.